Normally, when we start these episodes, I ask you to imagine yourself in the situations that we're about to explore. But in the case of today's topic, we don't really have to imagine. We just have to ask. We can ask Andrew Johnson, the 16-year-old wrestler who was told he had to cut off his locks or forfeit his wrestling match. Or we could ask Brittany Noble, a news anchor, who after wearing her natural hair, was told she looked unprofessional and was fired. This is what race-based hair discrimination looks like. And sometimes it could be more subtle. Can I touch your hair? It's so big. Oh, I love your kind of hair. Is that really your hair? Is that a weave? These are all examples of microaggressions, small comments, or phrases that may be intended to be harmless, but in fact, they actually communicate bias. In 2019, Dove co-founded the Crown Coalition to advance the Crown Act. And Crown stands for Creating a Respectful and Open World for Natural Hair. This law prohibits race-based hair discrimination, which is the denial of employment and educational opportunities because of hair texture or protective hairstyles. Today, the Crown Act has been passed in 15 states and one U.S. territory. And that's because of you. This is a movement that's been generated by you. You've been the ones writing to your senators. You've been the ones signing the petition and speaking up at your schools and places of work. I'm Jess Weiner, and on today's episode of Let's Change Beauty, I'll be talking with my friend Dre Brown, beauty entrepreneur and Dove self-esteem educator, about where the Crown Act is headed next and even more ways that you can get involved in the movement to end race-based hair discrimination. Let's dig in. Hello, my friend. I'm so happy to be here with you. You know I'm happy to be here with you. Thank you for having me. I mean, outside of knowing you personally, I've had the pleasure of working with you as a Dove Self-Esteem Educator for almost eight years now, I think it's been. I think one of the best blessings, and I wonder if you feel this is true as well, in being a Dove Self-Esteem Educator is that we get to be on the front lines of talking to girls and young women all over the country, sometimes all over the world, about issues around self-esteem and confidence. And when it comes to talking about um, race-based hair discrimination, you've been leading these incredible Dove workshops called My Hair, My Crown, and you've been a part of Crown Act conversations uh, for a long time. And I, I wanted to start by grounding us in the real stories that you've heard. And as you talk to young people in particular about race-based hair discrimination and uh, the complicated relationships that Black women and girls can have in particular with their hair in this culture and in this country, I would love if you could talk a little bit about the stories that you've heard and which ones have stuck with you. The stories are just as abundant as the beautiful, magical ways that, you know, the women and, and everyone in my culture decides to, you know, chooses to share their their culture through their hair. We have as much as much as abundance in, in there is there, there's the same amount of abundance of stories of where that has been turned into a, a, a negative mm-hmm. expression of self-doubt. But it's so funny that you were like that women and girls. And the one story that sticks in my head is the one that's not a girl or a woman at all. And Tell that's me. DeAndre Arnold, who we, you know, his name became uh, a hashtag and highlight because his school wanted to deny him the chance to walk across the stage because he had yeah. dress in his hair and he couldn't cut them. And, you know, that story, if that doesn't make anyone who has worked hard to achieve something burn up a little bit inside, I don't know. I don't know what's wrong because the it has it had nothing to do with anything. He had earned the degree, the diploma. He had done all of the the work. It was, you don't look the way we want you to. So we're going to hold something 
that you earned. Are you kidding me? You know, Faithfinity, she was sent home because she decided to come to school with hair that legitimately is one of the most classic Black girl styles in the book. She got her fresh braids for back to school. I remember getting so excited to get my braids back then. Moesha was on. I wanted my chunky Mm -hmm. braids and had someone turned me around and sent me home. They would have had to deal with just like face mom and dad. They would have had to deal with some fire because Mm -hmm. my mother would have came up there and been like, "Uh uh-uh, no, no, something ain't right. But this is not uncommon. No. (laughs) And kids are not necessarily always as boldly prepared to advocate for themselves Mm -hmm. like DeAndre and Faith's families did in their, in their cases. But, you know, when DeAndre was, his story came out, I remember it being one of the things that just kind of superseded the fact that he was celebrating a milestone as a young man. Yes. And so that's why some of the, you know, the things that the stories I hear that are more impactful and make me want to recommit more and more over and over to this effort are the ones that are indicative of you have not even shaped your sense of self yet. You are a growing, developing teenager. So that seed that's planted by someone denying you something simply off of the way you look is a seed that's go- that can grow into a really yes. huge diseased tree in your life that is hard to get out. And so it's like, it has all of these tentacles that go into your personal life, your career, how you decide to um, approach your job. Yep. So these stories are really, they're pervasive. They're, they are, it's sad to say so many of them sound alike and they're not all women in the same place or women in the same uh, generation. Um, but yeah, some of those are the ones that yeah. I hear on repeat. Well, and I'm so glad that you did mention that, of course, race-based hair discrimination does not happen only to women and girls. And I remember, and I know so many of us were watching with bated breath what was happening for DeAndre as it happens to so many people who get denied education, access, or work opportunities because of this. And I think calling your senators, tweeting, signing the petition, being an accomplice, doing the labor and getting educated uh, is is necessary for us to keep the fight going. You know, historically, Historically, you and I have been leading self-esteem workshops for quite some time. I'm so delighted that we get to, with our partnerships with Dove, really drill down into this specificity of a topic that affects so many. And when we talk about the Crown Act, which is obviously legislation now designed to end race-based hair discrimination, it you know it, it baffles me, although we've made great progress with the Crown Act. In the U.S., 35 states are still not protected against race-based hair discrimination. And, you know, Dove has done incredible crown research that showed that black women are 80% more likely to change their natural hair to meet those societal norms, and I'm using quotations here, and expectations at work. Mm -hmm. And I know you and I also, in in addition to talking to kids, we talk to adults in corporations and in work environments. (laughs) And I wanted to spend a little bit of time there as well. And, you know, maybe curious for you personally, if in your profession at any juncture in your career, you felt the pressure like this stat would reveal to change or shape the way you look in order to fit into a dominant culture in a work environment. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, and it's funny because I've been, I worked my whole life in creative industries. Mm-hmm. I worked in television. I did makeup. I do makeup. I'm on set. I'm, you know, in beauty and fashion and things that people would be like, oh my God, you must be able to express yourself so fully because it's such a creative 
abundantly colorful environment. And no, there's more inclusion in spaces that don't even look like that. You would think that. But what I found is that the mainstream conversation is going to find its way into every nook and cranny. So whereas though I was able to dress, you know, I didn't have maybe a dress code. I do remember thinking, oh, I got to go on a sales call. I got to change my hair this weekend Mm. because I know I'm not, I'm gonna look crazy in front of them, you know? And like for, to be completely honest, I knew I was going to be sitting across the table from white, old white men. Yep. And I need to look a certain way because they need to respect me. And these are, you know, these are sales guys. So, you know, like you just let's just, just don't give them anything to distract them. Don't, you know, don't wear a bright lipstick or maybe a little less fun on the nails. Like I thought of these things because I just wanted to be taken seriously. Yes. But then when I, the, the, the longer I matriculated through my career and I was in different spaces and even when I chose out. So when that started to feel like, no, this is not the space I want to be in. I chose out and I, I went to another room. And even in that room, it was, you know, how should we style this ad campaign for this, this white show? But then this black show is styled like this. Why do they look, why don't they get to look like that? Mm. Okay. So when I tell you there are layers to this, so yeah. my thing is, it's like, even if you're not telling Dre to her face, you can't wear your hair like that. If, if we are collaborating creatively and you're basically saying that someone that looks like me yeah. can't have something, I take that personally. And so these were experiences that I, you know, I saw and I was like, wow, I never expected that, you know, I had friends in banking, I had friends in, in law who I knew they were going to have that tight bun and that, you know, buttoned up bob that, you know, everyone knew you had to have. I never thought I would have to Mm. face those extremes in my industry. Well, I think it's really important that we talk about the expansiveness of where this bias lives across many industries and don't lean on an assumption that the creative space would hold that because we know it doesn't, right? I mean, there's a big conversation brewing in Hollywood right now. And because you spend so much time on sets and in TV and film, you know, the conversation that's been brewing. And actually, I think Ava DuVernay and others have raised this quite provocatively, which is that there are often no hairstylists and makeup artists on set who know how to do uh, hair for women of color and also to handle different skin tones. Like this has been happening for a long time. So oftentimes, Black, brown women would show up on set and you would have somebody who is not familiar with your hair texture or, you know, how to accentuate your skin for camera. And I've heard stories anecdotally from my friends for a long time about this, but I would love to hear from you as a professional in this space, your experience and more so to drive it home what that could feel like if you're somebody walking on set and realizing that there's nobody there to help you look and be your most beautiful self. It is one of the things that I tell people all the time and it helps me with the kids because these kids, they're obsessed with these, you know, beautiful images of these icons and they know that there's a lot that goes into it. Oh, you do their makeup? Yes. No one wakes up like that. I'm the first person on the set in the hotel suite. No wig, no Spanx, no fancy clothes that don't really belong to them. No makeup, no nothing. And all there is is a person 
who wants to go out and share their gifts with someone. And that vulnerability and that intimacy is a place that I used to see some of my best work done. And it was, it didn't involve anything that's in my makeup kit, nothing. Mm. And what I believed was I get so many hugs from strangers. You want to know why? Because a black woman walks into the room, into the trailer, and they're like, oh, girl, thank you, God. Oh, bless you, sister. Oh, thank you. Because I was scared. Because mm-hmm. they don't they don't put pictures of me on the call sheet. <laughs> they put pictures of talent. So they don't know who they're getting. Right. And it's like, why should I get an embrace and a, who thank the Lord, from an actor or um, when I, I don't think that it's something that is often really thought of like Mm -hmm. you look at their writer you got their food you got what they need that giving them a professional that understands their needs is just as important as making sure their trailer and their wardrobe is right that's right and so I think I appreciate so much that the conversation around the like on-set resources I have a lot I've been working with directors and producers for many many years who care so much so that's why I, I feel good because they call me and they're like, I will make this happen to have you there because it would make my talent give me a better performance. Right. And that shows me that I'm valued, but it also shows me that the talent is valued. And those are things that really change the game. And it just trickles down into whatever you create because everyone is feeling like they are being set up to win. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what I what I feel like when we're giving these kids these tools, it's like all you want to do is see that the space you're walking into is waiting for you. Right. And ready to accept you. Not necessarily have all of the, you know, have everything go your way, but just be prepared to be accepted um, so that you can do your best work. Well, this is why I think breaking down what are the elements of why we're fighting for the Crown Act is so important because I think, as you mentioned earlier, with other work environments, the kind of it's very nuanced, right? There are a lot of microaggressions that happen around appearance in workspaces. A lot of times uh, what you described earlier, right, we would call code switching, feeling like you've got to, you know, pretend Mm -hmm. to be a version of yourself that you are not in order to assimilate or because there's a power dynamic in this discrimination as well. And we're talking about sort of a a dominant beauty ideal and a stereotypical ideal and a white Eurocentric ideal that has been kind of proliferated now in our culture. And people are using that as the center and and then discriminating from there. And oftentimes at that center of discrimination, we have whiteness, we have maleness. And in this case, we've got a predominant beauty standard in that way. And I can only imagine the emotional toll and impact that that takes to not feel like you can be fully who you are in an environment where you're giving your labor. You will work hard for people who appreciate you and you will show up for yourself more when you know that people want to see you in your fullest. Right. And so like I told someone when I left corporate television, like working in corporate television to do beauty full time. And now you said eight years. That mm-hmm. was that this that is also the same year I did this. And I told someone, I said, I made a promise to myself. I said, I'm not in makeup because I love lashes and lipstick. I'm in makeup because I will never let a black person not look the way I want to feel when I see them Mm. as long as, as I do this job, as long as a brush is in my hand. And it's not that I only work with people of color, but I'll, that is a, a commitment that I made. I'm like, 
I am not here to mess you up. Not that I could, because I want you to know that you have everything you need already. But Mm -hmm. I am the last thing you're going to do is forget your gift, which is your performance, whatever you're here to serve, because you worried about if someone is going to be able to touch up your edges, Mm. because that is really, (laughs) you know, because when you think black women, our hair a, you know, we use that word crown, not just because it stands for, you know, creating a responsible, responsible and open world for natural hair, respectful and open world for natural hair. But it is about the fact that we there are cultures that are in our ancestry where that was something that was regal and looked upon and, and regarded as a symbol of just honor, beauty, and the, mm. the the earth's favor on your body. You know what I'm saying? Like for us to be here and to have hair that don't, it doesn't look like anyone else's. It doesn't move like anyone else's because it's not supposed to. And I think what the Crown Act has really allowed us to do is to have these cultural conversations in a space where people who just may not understand get to have the insights given to them from an authentic place. And then they get to make sure that these generational conversations don't go on further yeah. and further and further. We, we don't want Nia to still have the conversations Dominique was having. You know, we want to see that. But I think it happens, like you said, if we start early with the kids and we yeah. start giving them the uh, onus and the permission yeah. to really own and and champion their own natural beauty. So you talk about reversing, you know, this generational conversation and improving it for the next generation. You know, in 2021, I believe Dove's Crown Research study told us that 53% of black mothers in the US said that their daughter has faced hair discrimination as early as 5 years old. Come on. Come on. And you want to know why that is so like that knocks me on my head just so much is because I knew at five, I hadn't even, I didn't even know at five years old what my natural hair looked like because I was already chemically processing my hair. My parents were already straightening my hair. And so I know that, and that's also a function. That's not my parents trying to take my identity away. That's my parents responding to you know, I want my kid to be accepted. I want my kid to look, you know, to, to feel beautiful. Right. And if these same norms are operating on them, of course, they're going to make choices that are going to, you know, so it's no malice on their part. But what I think it is, is that five years old, that's more than half of these black moms. So that's right. five years old, that is a huge percentage of our young girls before they even really understand their own autonomy are already have a a, a limit put on them. They already feel like, okay, well, I can't sit over there. So, you know, and so I just think, you know, that is hard to swallow in the sense of we know we get these girls in these workshops, I think as early as age eight. And I'm so inspired all the time because I feel like so many of them are Mm self-aware. Whereas I don't, I mean, like more self-aware than I could, I think I was in, in college. Oh yeah. Oh, for <laughs> and, sure. Oh my God. And they're like eight years old and it's because of the culture we live in. But what I love is that we still had a, major, a, a large majority of black girls identifying through that same study that they believe that their hair is beautiful. Yeah. So we have a very complex landscape 
that we're navigating. Right. And so like, we're not, it's not all or nothing, but that's why the conversation has to move forward. And that's why giving, creating these laws that just allow inclusivity is the first step and making sure that the conversations feel safe so that other changes can happen and more cultural shifts can happen. That's so right. And listen, we're talking about passing legislation, but I think what we're also talking about is this complex and nuanced ecosystem of change, right? And that's where the workshops come in and that's where these conversations come in. And I'm curious for you, Dre, personally, how working on the Crown Act has evolved your own relationship with your hair and your appearance? Have you had and continue to have aha moments for yourself? I have like, uh, hey girls, ahas, uh, holy lords. I get a lot of, I have a lot of moments, um, not just ahas. But what I will tell you is like, you know, and, and I don't doubt that you can really sympathize or empathize with me on this in that when I started educating young people with Dove, it was a referendum on my own healing. Mm -hmm. It was a huge trigger for me to say, let me show up, not fully fixed, because I'm not broken, but not without challenges, not without self-esteem struggles, but let me show up in an honest and authentic state of progress, right? Against some things that I know are operating in myself. And so when it got time, when we got to work together on my hair, my crown, and I mean, like, you know, y'all, you're not telling people that literally everything I know that I, the toolkit I started as an educator with, you gave me. You're not saying (laughs) that, but... I'm going to let it be understood. But like when when, it, when we started having these conversations to, to develop my hair, my crown, I had done the work. But one of the things that was still hard for me was my relationship with my hair, because mm. so early it, the control was taken from me. I used to take T-shirts. You know how the, t- the T-shirt has like a little neck hole. Yep. Me and my sister would do talent shows and I would grab a yellow T-shirt. I couldn't have any other t-shirt. Now I'll put it on my head so I have long blonde hair. Mm. Fast forward, mama has been blonde the last 10 years. You know, therapy works, y'all. Yeah. We don't talk about <laughs> it. But, but I think what it was for me with developing this was it was the questions I wish that I had to someone ask me. That's right. And someone talked to me about, you know, because I remember having mixed friends in elementary school and one of my white friends being like, you know, we've been friends a long time, but you can't, you know, we're going to be sisters, but you can't be our sister because you don't look like us. But you can wow. stay our friend. No, that's cool. You know what I'm saying? And like, not asking them to know what my life is like, but to teach people how to be better allies Yes, is also a big part of this curriculum. Yes. So when I say that working on this and then parallel pathing, working in a civic capacity to help steward Crown Act, has just made me realize that legacy building goes far beyond the ways that our society initially kind of builds us up to think, you know, build wealth, have mm-hmm. a, you know, be famous, have people know your name. Mm-hmm. Legacy is contributing to a legal structure That's that right. will give liberty, freedom, and access to generations that look like you that you will never meet. And that's the bigger piece of this puzzle for me. So I tell everyone, I'm like, 
signing the petition isn't just protecting hairstyling and right. hair expression. It is creating legacy. Yes. And so I'm really happy for how far we've come. It's only been since 2019. Yep. And it feels like it's been longer, but we still have a, a lot more work to do. Like you said, 35 states still have not passed crown or crown inspired legislation, but we're on our way. Yeah, and that's why we're keeping all of this at the top of people's mind, because I always tell people keep crown on the crown, because if it's on the top of your mind, you won't, re- <laughs> you won't allow Yep. You know, the change in the social conversation to make you forget that this is an issue that's important. It is a public health crisis, because when yep. you think about how much I ain't got to tell you that the breakdown of our overall mental and physical health because of self-esteem challenges like this, you know, if we think of it as a public health crisis, I think it it, it makes people perk up like, actually, yes, it is. Yes. If well, you're thinking it, it of a five-year-old it- child. <laughs> Yeah, it gives it the gravitas that's needed. And there's something I want to pick up on that you said that you and I have had a lot of private conversations about, but I want to speak to the listener. You mentioned allyship. And so I want to speak to the listener who may be coming into this conversation and they weren't as aware of race-based hair discrimination, or maybe they weren't as aware of the emotional, mental, physical toll that this kind of um, bias can create. And I want to talk about, yes, being an ally, but also being an accomplice in this, because this is about, I think, really you know, getting involved in a, in a deep way. And I think for me, um, you know, as, as somebody who has also wrestled with the natural curl and texture of my hair and also as young as in sixth grade, so I was 11 years old that I went and got my hair pressed out and had chemical treatments in it and it burned part of it off. And I had like a half of my hair was gone on the side of my head, which was like such a traumatic thing to go into sixth grade with, with this like really kind of crazy experience because I was so obsessed with assimilating to a kind of look and style in culture. And in my school, that I thought would get me accepted. So I have my own personal access points. And obviously this is something I champion and have been a part of in my entire career for 26 years. But I want to talk to the person, Dre, who's listening now, who says, how do I get involved and what's my role if this hasn't been my lived experience? What are some action steps that people can take that are listening, regardless of how they enter into this issue? First of all, if you want to really make your voice heard in a real way with the Crown Act, you sign the competition, dove.com forward slash crown. Um, and that is whether your state has passed or not. Yes. We need that steam. So that is a huge way of adding your muscle. Um, but I love that you said accomplice. I might have to borrow that because accomplice makes me feel like you're ready to go to war with somebody. Like we might have to scurry down a fire escape or something yes. to get this done. <laughs> like that is another level. That's another level of partnership. And when I think of that, I think of the people that are like, I will never know what that feels like. That's right. But what, what I care about is that I know you feel your best if and ever that should happen to you. And so for those people, I say, be okay with having hard conversations. Mm -hmm. I think so often people are already uncomfortable about navigating workplace culture that they don't bring their full self sometimes to work or Mm -hmm. to whatever, you know. But I think if you are in a diverse work community and you realize that there might be an instance where someone feels like they're being, like they have to show up differently, Be the person that says, like, I think this is something, you know, because one thing I will say, if you are a non-Black person 
or a non-person of color that is trying to advocate against race-based hair discrimination, your first point is to say to another non-white person, look, this may not be something you will ever feel personally, but it's happening up in here. And that's an important thing. It's scary to stand up for an issue that doesn't, sometimes people will not work hard for an issue that doesn't hit their house right. or touch their family right. directly. And right. it's just, it's just reality. Yep. But what I think is in my environment, I want to create great content. I want to make movies that tell stories about people that look and feel like real life. And the way I do that is I try to inspire everybody to show up authentically. Be that person in your community, in your work, in your job. Be the person who says, you know, why are we choosing things that are that are culturally, like within our work culture or our organizational structure that are limiting? Like, why can't, you know, ask yep. questions? Because sometimes people that have never had the questions asked don't think they ever have to think about certain things. That's right. So that was, I would say that's a complex le- level mm-hmm. um, shaken up and, um, and also just do the research. Mm-hmm. I think education, honestly, is the greatest asset. Learn about Black hair culture. Mm-hmm. Learn about, you know, the history of things. Like we have to do better about yeah. Just be, you know, being able to talk comfortably about things that do trigger hurt, you know, pain sometimes because it's tied to historical things that are painful, but it doesn't have to be forever, you know, if we allow each other to, to open up. And I, I want to say two things. One is I have to give credit to Lovey Ajayi Jones, and she's the one who taught me yeah. the accomplice term because she and I have spoke about this years ago when we were talking about white folks on, wanting Levy. to be, I know we love Lovey, <laughs> but wanting to be better allies. And, I do. and she was like, you know, look, forget allies, let's be accomplices. And this is what we need to do is to put yourself out there. So I have to give credit where credit is due. And the other part yes. that, I would, that I'd want to add in as far as action is My Hair, My Crown is a free piece of curriculum that we offer that mm-hmm. folks can use, educators can use, community leaders can use. And I think the other part too, Dre, is I know there's a lot of competing priorities in the world for our focus right now, but you said something so important in this conversation that I picked up on, which is this is also about feeling and receiving love and belonging and acceptance and, you know, and a and a validation, not externally, but internally, an acknowledgement that you're here and you matter um, and you've taken up space and that matters. And I think just bringing it down to some real important human level uh, is is necessary yeah. for us to keep the fight going, don't you? I agree. I just think that's, I say, I tell everyone whether I'm doing this work or working as a makeup artist is that beauty is the universal is common denominator when it comes to um, the human condition for me. I could not know you, not know what you do for a living, but I know you get up and look in the mirror every day. Right. You know, if you were blessed with with vision, you go and you, you know, but otherwise, even if you're not, you experience yourself, you assess your body, you look at the resources that you are given and you do that before you go out and decide how you're going to approach the world. Right. And when I am able to be a part of that, I want to leave it better than I than I found it, you know, and um, so many times the beauty empowerment conversations always are like, well, we just need to stop thinking about how we look anyway. But if the way I look is making you treat me differently, give me fewer resources, fewer opportunities, and not give my humanity its due reverence, right? yes, it is a problem. 
And I'm just grateful to work for a brand that, you know, doesn't have to do this, doesn't have to invest in just trying to figure things out, doesn't have to do the research and doesn't have to offer these tools for free. You feel what I'm saying? Like when I tell people this is not your, your access, there are no gates. There is very few barriers for entry here. You just have to choose it. Um, I'm very grateful for that. And yeah. that makes like working on Crown, working on DSAP, just that much more rewarding. And hopefully, you know, we just don't keep shaking tables. <laughs> well, let me ask, <laughs> I, we're definitely going to be doing that. Let me ask you last question, <laughs> last question, which is if let's forecast into the future and you hear the news that finally all 50 states have passed the Crown Act uh, what emotion do you think you'll be feeling? When the announcement happens, I think I will feel first joy because I feel like this is an effort that I have watched grow as a seed, you know, and it would, it would just feel very full and joyful. But more than anything, I think that I would be proud. Mm. And one of the pride is not because of, Oh my God, I did so much work to make this happen. No, because it's not about anything about me. I'd be proud because what I would think about is all of the children and the women who are going to walk into work with a different swag, with a different sense of of autonomy, with um, another reason to celebrate themselves. And if they choose to do something different, that's their choice. But like you said, just knowing that the space you're walking into is equipped for you, prepared for you, and gives honor to the things that are uniquely yours, yeah. that's you can't beat that. So yeah, I will feel proud. I will feel honored to have been a part of this journey. And I just can't wait to see how that would be a culture shift for this country and other countries, oh, you yeah. know, because a lot, we set a lot of beauty norms up in here. And if we can be a part of that change, we, you never know. It could be a global phenomenon that we get to enjoy. So, well, I am yeah, honored. I can't wait. I can't wait either. <laughs> I am honored to be an accomplice in this work with you and just so happy to have your voice in this conversation. I love and adore you. Thank you for joining. Thank you. I am so grateful to be here with you. And thank you for continuing this work because, you know, you're the prototype. We're so grateful to have leaders like you that remind us that we can keep doing this. You get tired, but just keep on going. <laughs> so thank always, you, always, always, always. Thanks so much for listening to Let's Change Beauty, a podcast powered by the Dove Self-Esteem Project. As a founding member of the Crown Coalition, Dove has championed the Crown Act movement, which has been created and driven by a team of Black leaders who share a desire to end discrimination. We want to give a loving shout out to A.C. Eggleston Bracey, Holly J. Mitchell, Kelly Richardson Lawson, Orlena Niwoka Blanchard, and Ajwa B. Asamoah. If you're interested in accessing the My Hair, My Crown curriculum that we talked about in this episode, you can go to dove.com slash myhairmycrown. And if you'd like some help in emailing or tweeting your senator to ask them to pass the Crown Act, you can go to dove.com slash pass the crown. On our next episode of Let's Change Beauty, we're talking to UCLA gymnast Nia Dennis about becoming a role model to young girls and what it's been like to take up space in a traditionally white sport. Thanks so much for listening. And don't forget to write a review wherever you get podcasts. It really helps us out.